Chapter Five of *The Clue of the Silken Ladder* by Mildred A. Wirt Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Cheryl Adam, Skowhegan, Maine, 2016. Chapter Five: The Man in Gray. Deciding that the matter should be brought to Mr. Cole's attention, Penny looked quickly into the crowded theater lobby. The banker and his wife no longer were to be seen. Turning once more, the girl saw that the young man in gray had also disappeared. Now where did he go? thought Penny. He must have slipped into the alley. I wish I knew who he was and why he wrote down that car license number. Curious to learn what had become of the man, she walked to the entrance of the alley. At its far end, she could barely distinguish a shadowy figure which soon merged into the black of the starless night. Penny was lost in thought when someone touched her arm. Whirling, she found herself facing Louise Seidel. Oh, hello, Lou, she laughed. You've startled me. Sorry to have kept you waiting, apologized Louise. I missed my bus. May I ask what you find of such interest in this alley? I was looking for a man. He's disappeared now. Penny told Louise what she had observed, mentioning that in her opinion the man might be a car thief. I've heard that crooks spot cars ahead of time and then steal them, she declared. I think I should have Mr. Cole paged in the theater and tell him about it. You'll make yourself appear ridiculous if you do, Louise discouraged. The man may not have taken down the license number at all. Even if he did, his purpose could have been a legitimate one. Then why did he slip down the alley? It's merely a shortcut to another street, isn't it? Penny, your imagination simply works at high speed 24 hours of the day. Oh, all right, said Penny with a shrug. But if Mr. Cole's car is stolen, don't blame me. It won't be, laughed Louise, linking arms with her chum. Not with a chauffeur at the wheel. Entering the theater, the girls were escorted to their seats only a few minutes before the lights were lowered. Penny glanced over the audience, but failed to see either Mr. Cole or his wife. The curtain went up, and as the entertainment began, she dismissed all else from her mind. The show ended shortly before eleven, and the girls mingled with the crowd which filed from the theater. Penny watched for Mr. and Mrs. Cole, but did not see them. As she walked with Louise toward the bus stop, she spoke of her new duties as the society editor of the Star. Lou, she asked abruptly, do you mind going home alone? Why, no. Where are you taking yourself? To the Star office, if you don't mind. At this time of night? I have a few notes I should type. Unfinished work always makes me nervous. You nervous? Louise scoffed. I'll bet you want to see Jerry Livingston. No such thing, denied Penny indignantly. Jerry doesn't work on the night force unless he's assigned to extra duty. Well, you have something besides work on your mind. Come along with me, suspicious, and I'll prove it. No, thanks, declined Louise. It's home and bed for me. You run along. The girls separated, Penny walking three blocks to the Star Building. The advertising office was dark, but blue-white lights glowed weirdly from the composing room. Only a skeleton night staff occupied the newsroom. Without attracting attention, Penny entered her own office. For an hour, she worked steadily, writing copy and experimenting with various types of makeup to be used on Monday's page. The door creaked. 
Glancing up, Penny momentarily was startled to see a large, grotesque shadow of a man moving across the glass panel. However, before she actually could be afraid, Jerry Livingston stepped into the room. Oh, it's you, she laughed in relief. I thought it was against your principles to work overtime. The reporter slumped into a chair and picking up a sheet of copy paper began to read what Penny had composed. I'm not working, he replied absently. Just killing time. With a yawn, he tossed the paper onto the desk again. Is my stuff that bad? inquired Penny. Not bad at all. Better than Miss Hilderman writes. But society always gives me a pain. Not worthy of your talents, Penny. I wish you would tell Dad that, Jerry. I'd love to work on a big story again. One that would rock Riverview to its foundation. I could bear up under a little excitement myself, Penny. Ever since you broke the green door yarn, this sheet's been as dead as an Egyptian tomb. Things may pick up soon. Meaning? Dad is thinking rather seriously of launching a drive against an organized group of mediums. So I hear, nodded Jerry. You know, for a long time, I've thought that a clever reporter might be able to dig up some evidence at the Celestial Temple. Then you know about the place. I've been there several times. What are the meetings like, Jerry? Penny asked eagerly. Similar to a church musical service. At least everything was dignified when I was there. But I sure had a feeling that the lid was about to blow off. Perhaps you were suspected of being a star reporter, Jerry. Oh, undoubtedly. I could tell that by the way folks stared at me. The only person who would have a chance to get real evidence would be someone unknown as a reporter. I wish Dad would let me try it. I don't, said Jerry flatly. The celestial temple's no place for a little girl like you. Penny did not reply as she lowered her typewriter into the cavity of the desk. She was thinking, however, that if Louise could be persuaded to accompany her, she would investigate the celestial temple at the first opportunity. I'll take you home, Jerry offered as Penny reached for her hat. The night was a warm, mellow one early in June, marred only by dark clouds, which scudded overhead, threatening rain. Deciding to walk, Penny and Jerry crossed the park to Oakdale Drive, where many of Riverview's most expensive homes had been built. "'Doesn't Mr. Cole live on this street?' Penny presently asked her escort. "'Yes,' he answered, in a large stone apartment building. "'I'll point it out when we get there.' They walked for a time in silence. Then Penny found herself telling about the afternoon meeting with Mr. Cole, which had led her to Kano's curio shop. She spoke, too, of the silken ladder, which had so aroused her speculation. Jerry listened with polite interest. "'You and Louise shouldn't have chased around Door Street alone,' he said severely. "'It's a bad district.' "'Oh, it was safe enough, Jerry. I'd like to go back there. I can't help being curious about that strange ladder which the old Japanese man was sewing. I doubt if there's a story connected with it. The Japanese make any number of curious articles of silk, you know. But a ladder, Jerry. What purpose could it serve? For one thing, it'd be more convenient to carry than the ordinary type. One couldn't stand it up against a wall or use it in the ordinary way. I asked the Japanese about it, but he refused to answer. He may not have understood you. Oh, he understood all right. Do you know what I think? 
He was afraid I might discover something which would involve him with the police. Better forget about the Kano Curio Shop, Jerry said tolerantly. I repeat, Door Street is no place for you. And I'm supposed to forget the Celestial Temple too, grumbled Penny. Oh, I see you grinned behind your hand. Well, Mr. Livingston, let me tell you... She paused and Jerry's hand tightened on her own. Unmistakably, both had heard a muffled scream. The cry seemed to have come from one of the several large brick and stone buildings only a short distance ahead. What was that? Penny asked in a low tone. Someone calling for help? It sure sounded like it, exclaimed Jerry. Come on, Penny, let's find out what's going on here. End of chapter 5